Chapter forty eight of Framley Parsonage by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter forty eight How they were all married, had two children, and lived happy ever after. Dear affectionate, sympathetic readers, we have four couple of sighing lovers with whom to deal in this our last chapter and i as leader of the chorus disdain to press you further with doubts as to the happiness of any of that quadrille they were all made happy in spite of that little episode which so lately took place at barchester and in telling of their happiness shortly as is now necessary we will take them chronologically giving precedence to those who first appeared at the hymeneal altar in july then at the cathedral by the father of the bride assisted by his examining chaplain olivia proudie the eldest daughter of the bishop of barchester was joined in marriage to the rev tobias tickler incumbent of the trinity district church in bethnal green of the bridegroom in this instance our acquaintance has been so short that it is not perhaps necessary to say much when coming to the wedding he proposed to bring his three darling children with him but in this measure he was i think prudently stopped by advice rather strongly worded from his future valued mother-in-law mr tickler was not an opulent man nor had he hitherto attained any great fame in his profession but at the age of forty-three he still had sufficient opportunity before him and now that his merit has been properly viewed by high ecclesiastical eyes the refreshing dew of deserved promotion will no doubt fall upon him the marriage was very smart and olivia carried herself through the trying ordeal with an excellent propriety of conduct up to that time and even for a few days longer there was doubt at barchester as to that strange journey which lord dumbelow undoubtedly did take to france when a man so circumstanced will suddenly go to paris without notice given even to his future bride people must doubt and grave were the apprehensions expressed on this occasion by mrs proudie even at her child's wedding breakfast god bless you my dear children she said standing up at the head of her table as she addressed mr tickler and his wife when i see your perfect happiness perfect that is as far as human happiness can be made perfect in this vale of tears and think of the terrible calamity which has fallen on our unfortunate neighbours i cannot but acknowledge his infinite mercy and goodness the lord giveth and the lord taketh away by which she intended no doubt to signify that whereas mr tickler had been given to her olivia lord dumbelow had been taken away from the archdeacon's griselda the happy couple then went in mrs proudie's carriage to the nearest railway station but one and from thence proceeded to malvern and there spent the honeymoon and a great comfort it was i am sure to mrs proudie 
when authenticated tidings reached barchester that lord dumbelow had returned from paris and that the hartletop grantly alliance was to be carried to its completion she still however held her opinion whether correctly or not who shall say that the young lord had intended to escape the archdeacon has shown great firmness in the way in which he has done it said mrs proudie but whether he has consulted his child's best interests in forcing her into a marriage with an unwilling husband i for one must take leave to doubt but then unfortunately we all know how completely the archdeacon is devoted to worldly matters in this instance the archdeacon's devotion to worldly matters was rewarded by that success which he no doubt desired he did go up to london and did see one or two of lord dumbelow's friends this he did not obtrusively as though in fear of any falsehood or vacillation on the part of the viscount but with that discretion and tact for which he has been so long noted mrs proudie declares that during the few days of his absence from barsetshire he himself crossed to france and hunted down lord dumbelow at paris as to this i am not prepared to say anything but i am quite sure as will be all those who knew the archdeacon that he was not a man to see his daughter wronged as long as any measure remained by which such wrong might be avoided but be that as it may that mooted question as to the archdeacon's journey to paris lord dumbelow was forthcoming at plumstead on the fifth of august and went through his work like a man the hartletop family when the alliance was found to be unavoidable endeavoured to arrange that the wedding should be held at hartletop priory in order that the clerical dust and dinginess of barchester close might not soil the splendour of the marriage gala doings but to tell the truth the hartletopians as a rule were not proud of their new clerical connections but on this subject mrs grantly was very properly inexorable nor when an attempt was made on the bride to induce her to throw over her mamma at the last moment and pronounce for herself that she would be married at the priory was it attended with any success the hartletopians knew nothing of the grantly fibre and calibre or they would have made no such attempt the marriage took place at plumstead and on the morning of the day lord dumbelow posted over from barchester to the rectory the ceremony was performed by the archdeacon without assistance although the dean and the precentor and two other clergymen were at the ceremony griselda's propriety of conduct was quite equal to that of olivia proudie indeed nothing could exceed the statuesque grace and fine aristocratic bearing with which she carried herself on the occasion the three or four words which the service required of her she said with ease and dignity there was neither sobbing nor crying to disturb the work or embarrass her friends and she signed her name in the church books as griselda grantly without a tremor and without a regret 
mrs grantly kissed her and blessed her in the hall as she was about to step forward to her travelling carriage leaning on her father's arm and the child put up her face to her mother for a last whisper mamma she said i suppose jane can put her hand at once on the moire antique when we reach dover mrs grantly smiled and nodded and again blessed her child there was not a tear shed at least not then nor a sign of sorrow to cloud for a moment the gay splendour of the day but the mother did bethink herself in the solitude of her own room of those last words and did acknowledge a lack of something for which her heart had sighed she had boasted to her sister that she had nothing to regret as to her daughter's education but now when she was alone after her success did she feel that she could still support herself with that boast for be it known mrs grantly had a heart within her bosom and a faith within her heart the world it is true had pressed upon her sorely with all its weight of accumulated clerical wealth but it had not utterly crushed her not her but only her child for the sins of the father are they not visited on the third and fourth generation but if any such feeling of remorse did for a while mar the fullness of mrs grantly's joy it was soon dispelled by the perfect success of her daughter's married life at the end of the autumn the bride and bridegroom returned from their tour and it was evident to all the circle at hartletop priory that lord dumbelow was by no means dissatisfied with his bargain his wife had been admired everywhere to the top of his bent all the world at ems and at baden and at nice had been stricken by the stately beauty of the young viscountess and then too her manner style and high dignity of demeanour altogether supported the reverential feeling which her grace and form at first inspired she never derogated from her husband's honour by the fictitious liveliness of gossip or allowed any one to forget the peeress in the woman lord dumbelow soon found that his reputation for discretion was quite safe in her hands and that there were no lessons as to conduct in which it was necessary that he should give instruction before the winter was over she had equally won the hearts of all the circle at hartletop priory the duke was there and declared to the marchioness that dumbelow could not possibly have done better indeed i do not think he could said the happy mother she sees all that she ought to see and nothing that she ought not and then in london when the season came all men sang all manner of praises in her favour and lord dumbelow was made aware that he was reckoned among the wisest of his age he had married a wife who managed everything for him who never troubled him whom no woman disliked and whom every man admired as for feast of reason and for flow of soul is it not a question whether any such flows and feasts are necessary between a man and his wife how many men can truly assert that they ever enjoy connubial flows of soul 
or that connubial feasts of reason are in their nature enjoyable but a handsome woman at the head of your table who knows how to dress and how to sit and how to get in and out of her carriage who will not disgrace her lord by her ignorance or fret him by her coquetry or disparage him by her talent how beautiful a thing it is for my own part i think that griselda grantly was born to be the wife of a great english peer after all then said miss dunstable speaking of lady dumbelow she was mrs thorne at this time after all there is some truth in what our quaint latter-day philosopher tells us great are thy powers o silence the marriage of our old friends dr thorne and miss dunstable was the third on the list but that did not take place till the latter end of september the lawyers on such an occasion had no inconsiderable work to accomplish and though the lady was not coy nor the gentleman slow it was not found practicable to arrange an earlier wedding the ceremony was performed at st george's hanover square and was not brilliant in any special degree london at the time was empty and the few persons whose presence was actually necessary were imported from the country for the occasion the bride was given away by dr easyman and the two bridesmaids were ladies who had lived with miss dunstable as companions young mr gresham and his wife were there as was also mrs harold smith who was not at all prepared to drop her old friend in her new sphere of life we shall call her mrs thorne instead of miss dunstable and i really think that that will be all the difference said mrs harold smith to mrs harold smith that probably was all the difference but it was not so to the persons most concerned according to the plan of life arranged between the doctor and his wife she was still to keep up her house in london remaining there during such period of the season as she might choose and receiving him when it might appear good to him to visit her but he was to be the master in the country a mansion at the chase was to be built and till such time as that was completed they would keep on the old house at greshamsbury into this small as it was mrs thorne in spite of her great wealth did not disdain to enter but subsequent circumstances changed their plans it was found that mr sowerby could not or would not live at caldicott's and therefore in the second year of their marriage that place was prepared for them they are now well known to the whole county as dr and mrs thorne of caldicott's of caldicott's in distinction to the well-known thorns of ullathorne in the eastern division here they live respected by their neighbours and on terms of alliance both with the duke of omnium and with lady lupton of course those dear old avenues will be very sad to me said mrs harold smith when at the end of a london season she was invited down to caldicott's and as she spoke she put her handkerchief up to her eyes well dear what can i do said mrs thorne i can't cut them down the doctor would not let me oh no said mrs harold smith sighing and in spite of her feelings she did visit caldicott's but it was october 
before Lord Lufton was made a happy man, that is, if the fruition of his happiness was a greater joy than the anticipation of it. I will not say that the happiness of marriage is like the Dead Sea fruit, an apple which, when eaten, turns to bitter ashes in the mouth. Such pretended sarcasm would be very false. Nevertheless, is it not the fact that the sweetest morsel of love's feast has been eaten, that the freshest, fairest blush of the flower has been snatched and has passed away when the ceremony at the altar has been performed and legal possession has been given there is an aroma of love an undefinable delicacy of flavour which escapes and is gone before the church portal is left vanishing with the maiden name and incompatible with the solid comfort appertaining to the rank of wife to love one's own spouse and to be loved by her is the ordinary lot of man and is a duty exacted under penalties but to be allowed to love youth and beauty that is not one's own to know that one is loved by a soft being who still hangs cowering from the eye of the world as though her love were all but illicit can it be that a man is made happy when a state of anticipation such as this is brought to a close no when the husband walks back from the altar he has already swallowed the choicest dainties of his banquet the beef and pudding of married life are then in store for him or perhaps only the bread and cheese let him take care lest hardly a crust remain or perhaps not a crust but before we finish let us go back for one moment to the dainties to the time before the beef and pudding were served while lucy was still at the parsonage and lord lufton still staying at framley court he had come up one morning as was now frequently his wont and after a few minutes conversation mrs robarts had left the room as not unfrequently on such occasions was her wont lucy was working and continued her work and lord lufton for a moment or two sat looking at her then he got up abruptly and standing before her thus questioned her lucy said he well what of lucy now any particular fault this morning yes a most particular fault when i asked you here in this room on this very spot whether it was possible that you should love me why did you say that it was impossible lucy instead of answering at the moment looked down upon the carpet to see if his memory were as good as hers yes he was standing on the exact spot where he had stood before no spot in all the world was more frequently clear before her own eyes do you remember that day lucy he said again yes i remember it she said why did you say it was impossible did i say impossible she knew that she had said so she remembered how she had waited till he had gone and that then going to her own room she had reproached herself with the cowardice of the falsehood she had lied to him then and now 
how was she punished for it well i suppose it was possible she said but why did you say so when you knew it would make me so miserable miserable nay but you went away happy enough i thought i had never seen you look better satisfied lucy you had done your duty and had had such a lucky escape what astonishes me is that you should have ever come back again but the pitcher may go to the well once too often lord lufton but will you tell me the truth now what truth that day when i came to you did you love me at all then we'll let bygones be bygones if you please but i swear you shall tell me it was such a cruel thing to answer me as you did unless you meant it and yet you never saw me again till after my mother had been over for you to mrs crawley's it was absence that made me care for you lucy i swear i believe you loved me then ludovic sutton conjurer must have told you that she was standing as she spoke and laughing at him she held up her hands and shook her head but she was now in his power and he had his revenge his revenge for her past falsehood and her present joke how could he be more happy when he was made happy by having her all his own than he was now and in these days there again came up that petition as to her riding with very different results now than on that former occasion there were ever so many objections then there was no habit and lucy was or said that she was afraid and then what would lady lufton say but now lady lufton thought it would be quite right only were they quite sure about the horse was ludovic certain that the horse had been ridden by a lady and lady meredith's habits were dragged out as a matter of course and one of them chipped and snipped and altered without any compunction and as for fear there could be no bolder horsewoman than lucy robarts it was quite clear to all framley that riding was the very thing for her but i never shall be happy ludovic till you have got a horse properly suited for her said lady lufton and then also came the affair of her wedding garments of her trousseau as to which i cannot boast that she showed capacity or steadiness at all equal to that of lady dumbelow lady lufton however thought it a very serious matter and as in her opinion mrs robarts did not go about it with sufficient energy she took the matter mainly into her own hands striking lucy dumb by her frowns and nods deciding on everything herself down to the very tags of the boot ties my dear you really must allow me to know what i am about and lady lufton patted her on the arm as she spoke i did it all for justinia and she never had reason to regret a single thing that i bought if you'll ask her she'll tell you so lucy did not ask her future sister-in-law seeing that she had no doubt whatever as to her future mother-in-law's judgment on the articles in question only the money and what could she want with six dozen pocket-handkerchiefs all at once 
there was no question of lord lufton's going out as governor-general to india but twelve dozen pocket-handkerchiefs had not been too many for griselda's imagination and lucy would sit alone in the drawing-room at framley court filling her heart with thoughts of that evening when she had first sat there she had then resolved painfully with inward tears with groanings of her spirit that she was wrongly placed in being in that company griselda grantly had been there quite at her ease petted by lady lufton admired by lord lufton while she had retired out of sight sore at heart because she felt herself to be no fit companion to those around her then he had come to her making matters almost worse by talking to her bringing the tears into her eyes by his good nature but still wounding her by the feeling that she could not speak to him at her ease but things were at a different pass with her now he had chosen her her out of all the world and brought her there to share with him his own home his own honours and all that he had to give she was the apple of his eye and the pride of his heart and the stern mother of whom she had stood so much in awe who at first had passed her by as a thing not to be noticed and had then sent out to her that she might be warned to keep herself aloof now hardly knew in what way she might sufficiently show her love regard and solicitude i must not say that lucy was not proud in these moments that her heart was not elated at these thoughts success does beget pride as failure begets shame but her pride was of that sort which is in no way disgraceful to either man or woman and was accompanied by pure true love and a full resolution to do her duty in that state of life to which it had pleased her god to call her she did rejoice greatly to think that she had been chosen and not griselda was it possible that having loved she should not so rejoice or that rejoicing she should not be proud of her love they spent the whole winter abroad leaving the dowager lady lufton to her plans and preparations for their reception at framley court and in the following spring they appeared in london and there set up their staff lucy had some inner tremblings of the spirit and quiverings about the heart at thus beginning her duty before the great world but she said little or nothing to her husband on the matter other women had done as much before her time and by courage had gone through with it it would be dreadful enough that position in her own house with lords and ladies bowing to her and stiff members of parliament for whom it would be necessary to make small talk but nevertheless it was to be endured the time came and she did endure it the time came and before the first six weeks were over she found that it was easy enough the lords and ladies got into their proper places and talked to her about ordinary matters in a way that made no effort necessary and the members of parliament were hardly more stiff than the clergyman she had known in the neighbourhood of framley she had not been long in town before she met lady dumbelow at this interview also 
she had to overcome some little inward emotion on the few occasions on which she had met griselda grantly at framley they had not much progressed in friendship and lucy had felt that she had been despised by the rich beauty she also in her turn had disliked if she had not despised her rival but how would it be now lady dumbelow could hardly despise her and yet it did not seem possible that they should meet as friends they did meet and lucy came forward with a pretty eagerness to give her hand to lady lufton's late favourite lady dumbelow smiled slightly the same old smile which had come across her face when they two had been first introduced in the framley drawing-room the same smile without the variation of a line took the offered hand muttered a word or two and then receded it was exactly as she had done before she had never despised lucy robarts she had accorded to the parson's sister the amount of cordiality with which she usually received her acquaintance and now she could do no more for the peer's wife lady dumbelow and lady lufton have known each other ever since and have occasionally visited at each other's houses but the intimacy between them has never gone beyond this the dowager came up to town for about a month and while there was contented to fill a second place she had no desire to be the great lady in london but then came the trying period when they commenced their life together at framley court the elder lady formally renounced her place at the top of the table formally persisted in renouncing it though lucy with tears implored her to resume it she said also with equal formality repeating her determination over and over again to mrs robarts with great energy that she would in no respect detract by interference of her own from the authority of the proper mistress of the house but nevertheless it is well known to every one at framley that old lady lufton still reigns paramount in the parish yes my dear the big room looking into the little garden to the south was always the nursery and if you ask my advice it will still remain so but of course any room you please and the big room looking into the little garden to the south is still the nursery at framley court end of chapter forty eight end of framley parsonage by anthony trollope recording by nick whitley purley united kingdom